Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today. We are thankful today. Oh, so thankful that we serve a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that we have forgiveness for our sin through the cross, through the resurrection of Jesus. We're thankful that we have peace with the holy God, an infinite God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Lord, I'm thankful that we have hope that endures today. We're so thankful that you're merciful, that you're kind, that you're gracious. We're so thankful for your power. And so, Lord, we come today and we exalt the name of our only hope, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today as we begin to, to look at your word, as we begin to, to turn our eyes upon you in this hour, that, that you would speak to us. It would be your word, your message for your church. Lord, I pray that in it you would be glorified. I pray that in it you would be known. I pray for any person in this room that is here without the hope of a Savior today, that today, this very day, would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that as we walk out of this room that, that your praises have been lifted high. And I pray that we carry the name of Christ into a lost and dying world. Lord, move in our midst today, supernaturally. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Next week, we're going to resume our verse-by-verse -verse study going through the book of Acts, we've, we've moved a couple chapters through that. Uh, I want you to be very sure on this day that I'm very excited about that. I'm looking forward for that opportunity. I hope that you are as well because the truth is today, Jesus is coming again very soon. Today we, we look around and I'll just tell you, in, in the last 10 years, the last five years, the last year, we are living in wicked days. We are living in evil days. And I want to tell you, for us in the church, these are to be urgent days. For us in the church, these are very important days. And I'll just tell you, I, I truly, honestly believe that God is instructing his church in these, the last days, by our looking at the church in the first days. And just as their start was important, just as it was necessary, just as it was vital, I want to tell you how we end is just as vital, that we would understand that how we end as the church of Jesus Christ is going to be just as important and just as essential. And so I'm convinced that this isn't just a sermon series I'm convinced it's not just a study through one of the books of the Bible, but I truly believe, listen to me very carefully, I believe God is preparing us for his return. And so I want to ask that you commit as we start back next week going through the book of Acts as he's instructing us. I'm excited. I'm ready for that study. But today, today we have entered into a new year, 2020. I was thinking about that last couple of days, uh, remember Y2K and everybody was talking about preparing for the year 2000? That was 20 years ago. Can you believe that? Uh, this may be a little bit goofier, but I, I remember in the sixth grade in 1982, um, Prince came out with the song 1999. And I remember skating around the skating rink up there at Skate City. And I remember being a sixth grader as I was skating around the skating rink thinking, 1999, that'll never happen. There's no way that'll ever happen. That song was 38 years ago. It is a new year. It is 2020. This is my first message of this year. I'm excited 
to preach it. I want to start off by asking today, in 2020, what is the greatest thing that could happen? And I, I, I want you to feel the gravity of that question. I want that to be a profound question. In 2020, what is the greatest thing that could happen? Now, let me make this personal. In your life, now don't look around and say, well, this is good for my kids or, or for my college kids going back to school or, or my husband needs to hear this. In your life, don't look around. What is the greatest thing that could happen in 2020? Today, today, what is the greatest thing that could happen? For about three weeks, that has been bouncing around in my mind. What's the greatest thing that could happen? I see time going by. It goes by so quickly. I didn't, I didn't know how fast when they said, you know what, it's going to go by. It goes by very quickly. I see the days that we're living in. And as you watch what's happening, as you watch the news, I, I see the days that we're living in. I see people that are hurt. They're hurt by life. And I watch people and I see them as they, as they try to smile, as they try to push on, but I, I watch people as they're tired. I watch people as they're stressed out. I, I watch and it breaks my heart as I see people going in the wrong way, going in the wrong direction. And, and they've, heard the, they've heard the warnings, but they're looking for, for hope in all the wrong places and they're putting their investment in the wrong places. I watch people and they've bought into the world's lies. And they're eating up the lies that the world is telling them. I watch people and I see them dealing with all sorts of stuff. And maybe you do as well. There's, they're going through tough stuff. And there's, there's financial stuff and, and, and stuff with jobs. And there's physical stuff and, and sicknesses and prognosis and, and things they didn't think they would have to deal with. I see folks and they're dealing with their relationships and their, their homes have issues and their, their marriages have issues and they're having trouble with their kids and I, and I watch them as they're going through these, these painful things. I see our young people. Do you see our young people? So much promise. More resources, man, they've got more stuff at the touch of their fingers than, than any generation could imagine. I, I see our young people, and, and listen, the leading cause of death in their age group is suicide. That ought not be so. 14-year-olds can't find any hope. 13-year-olds can't find any hope. Do you see our, our young people, the world is capturing and dragging away our young people. And then I look at the answers that people are giving today. And I, I don't know if this makes me more upset than anything, but I, I notice people are hurting and people are suffering and people are looking for an answer. And I look at the answers that, that, the, that the world is giving to them today. I, people will come along and say, you know what, the answer is in society and if we could just fix society, if we could just make a few wrong things right, if we could just get our society right, it'll be a prosperous day. Or people come along and say, you know, the answer is in self-esteem. And if we could just educate these kids, if we could just put in self-esteem, if we could just build self-esteem, the answer is within inside you. The hope is within inside you and, and the answer is in self-esteem. 
Or I watch people and they, and they believe the answer's in their stuff. If we could just get more stuff, dadgummit, if we could just get some more stuff, if we could just get that next pay raise and, and get ahead in our finances, and if we could have that car and we could live in that neighborhood, and if, if we could just have more stuff, then we could get behind the, the, the terrible things we're in and we would find comfort and we would find peace that we could walk in. And if we could just get some more stuff. I see people that say the answer is America. Let me tell you something today. The answer is not America. And I, and I almost want to scream it. The answer is not Democratic. The answer is not Republican. The answer is not Pelosi. The answer is not Trump. There's, there's no hope in all that. I see people say, well, this is happening. This is a good thing. Here's our answer. Our answer is not in America. I watch all of that with a front row seat and it is a new year, 2020, 2020. And, and friends, it has just been eating me alive. Something needs to happen. Something needs to happen. Something, my land, something has got to give. Do you see where our world is going? Do you see what is happening? Something has got to give. Something has got to happen. Do you understand that? Something's got to happen. Well, what could be the greatest thing that could happen? And I, I, I grab a hold of that question and I see the hopelessness in people's eyes. I see the hurt in people's eyes. I see the panic in people's eyes. And I wonder what would be the greatest thing? What would be the greatest thing that could happen? It's not out of the realm of possibility, is it? What would be the, the greatest thing that could happen? I know what it is. Something's got to happen. What would be the best thing that could happen? Let me tell you, I know what it is. It's not that we'd be consistent in church. <laughs> Do you ever think you'd hear me say that? It's not, listen, it's not that we would be consistent in church. Listen to me, that would be great. God would bless that. God would use it. Listen, I know God would, would grow us in it. I know it's God's plan. In fact, he says, do not forsake it. And I can just tell you, if, if you're involved in this church, there's gonna be the truth that's gonna be taught and there's gonna be worship just like it was offered up to our king. There's gonna be fellowship. There's gonna be encouragement. It will be great. It's not the greatest thing that could happen. So what's the greatest thing that could happen? It's not that we'd evangelize the lost. For sure you didn't think you'd hear that. Man, listen to me, be sure. Listen to me, that'd be great. That'd be great. God would bless it. God would use it. Listen, the kingdom of God would grow because of it. It's God's plan in his, in his infinite wisdom. He gave us that plan. That is our mission as followers of Christ. And I want to tell you, if we would evangelize the lost, we'd see folks making decisions. We'd baptize a whole lot of folks. More than that, lives would be radically changed. It'd be great. It's not the greatest thing that could happen. What's the greatest thing that could happen? It's not that men would lead in their homes. We need that. 
I think we're suffering. I think our church is suffering. I think our society, our world is suffering because of the absence of men leading in their walks with Christ. That would be great. Let me tell you, God would bless that. God would use that. Our wives would be blessed more than that. A generation of kids would be blessed. Our homes would honor Jesus Christ. It is his plan. Oh, we need that today. Listen, I've been praying for that. I've been hoping for that. Thursdays, that's the whole thing with the men's lunch, that men would rise up and they would lead their wives and they would lead their kids and Christ would be honored. It's not the greatest thing that could happen. Folks, I could go on and on. We need revival in the church. Yes, it's not the greatest thing. Marco, we need a a movement in our youth today. Yes, it's not the greatest thing. Oh, that moms and dads would teach the truth of God's word to their kids. That's what we need. Yes, it's not the greatest thing. We need something to happen. Dear God, we need something to happen. Let this be the year that it happens. Look around. We need something to happen. What's the greatest thing that could happen? Listen. The greatest thing that could happen, if you've been a believer for 50 years, or if you've been a believer for 30 years, the greatest thing that can happen if, if you've been saved for one year, or friend, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've never been saved, get this, the greatest thing that could happen is that we would see today in all of his glory our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, the greatest thing that would happen is if we saw Jesus. That's what we need. If we would see Jesus, that is the answer. We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. I've been saved 50 years. Listen, oh, that you would see him anew. I've walked with him for 30 years. Oh, that you would see him anew. His mercy, his grace, his power. Oh, I've never seen him. I'm lost. Oh, your only hope is that you would see Jesus. We've lost sight of Jesus. We've become numb to Jesus. We, we sing all the songs. We're, we're not impressed with Jesus. My land somehow, I don't know how it's happened. We're uninspired with Jesus. Oh, thank you for my eternal life. Yes, I like a clean slate. We're not impressed with Jesus. And we need to see Jesus, our resurrected Savior in all of his glory. That's what we need today. We need to see Jesus. Let me tell you something. We would quickly, quickly turn our backs on this sorry world's system if we could just see Jesus. I want to tell you, it wouldn't be any comparison. There wouldn't be much of a choice if we could just see Jesus. We wouldn't invest in things that aren't going to matter. If we could see Jesus, we'd walk away from this world's system 
I want to tell you, we'd get consistent in the participation of the church. Listen, it's not for me. It's for a lost and dying world. It's that the gospel would go out. We wouldn't have to be browbeating folks to be consistent. If we would see Jesus, it would happen. We'd evangelize the lost if we saw Jesus. We couldn't help but tell them about our marvelous Savior. We'd tell every lost person we could. Men, they would lead in their homes. They wouldn't find any greater pleasure than let me lead, let me drive that foundation down in my home. We'd carry out the Great Commission. We'd, we'd see a revival in the church. We'd see a movement in our youth if we would just see Jesus. I just know it, I know it. If we could see Jesus, our risen Savior, we need to see Jesus. Sadly, somehow we've become distracted. Somehow, sadly, church has lost its focus. I look around and I see people and their eyes are hurting and they're looking for truth. Very sadly, we got whole churches that they want to talk about Jesus' culture and they want to talk about Jesus' calling and they want to talk about signs and wonders and it's all they want to talk about. But nobody's talking about the truth of Jesus. Sadly, we've got a growing numbers of churches and all they want to do, and it's a, it's a growing thing, all they want to do is talk about the doctrines of grace. All they want to do is talk about reformed theology until they're blue in the face. Let me be sure and tell you something today, friend. The doctrines of John MacArthur and the doctrine of John Calvin will save nobody, but the gospel of Jesus Christ will save anybody. We need to see Jesus. I watch us as believers, and I think somehow we've, we've lost the, the excitement, the joy the, the, the confidence, we forget somehow that, that this isn't just some superstition. This isn't just some plan to get us down the road. This isn't just some way to, to have trust in our eternal destiny. I think we lose sight of the fact that we actually serve a risen Savior, Jesus we lose sight of that. We, we, we serve a risen Savior, Jesus. Get that today. That is good news. Listen, you need some good news. You're looking for it. That is the good news. We serve a risen Savior, Jesus. We need not despair. We serve a risen Savior. This world is not our home. We serve a risen Savior. We have a glorious future. What a day that shall be. We serve a risen Savior. Death and sickness the grave, it has been overcome. We serve a risen Savior. Our sins are paid for. Our guilt and our shame has been removed. We serve a risen Savior. We can be right as a sinner with a holy God by the cross of Calvary and his resurrection. We serve a risen Savior. Listen, I will stand, we will stand in his presence and we will be forever redeemed of the curse and there will be no sin and no stain of sin and no consequence of sin and it comes from the fact that we serve a risen Savior. Wow, that is the truth. Listen, that's the truth. 
No one ought to have to come and crank our gear to get us excited. No one ought to come and have to have a pep rally to get us excited. Whatever our lot, we serve a risen Savior. That's been bouncing around in my head for these weeks. Oh, if we just see Jesus risen from the dead. If we just catch a, a grasp of that, if people would just see Jesus, if our church again would just see Jesus, if the lost folks, if they would just see Jesus risen from the dead. Don't you know everything would get right? Two thousand years ago, there was a baby born. God named him. His name means Yahweh saves, God saves, God's salvation. His name is Jesus. And you shall call his name Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. There he has an, a very unlikely start, and it, it begins there for this baby Jesus. Some shepherds come, and, and picture the story as we move through it. Some shepherds come, and they're excited. They travel, and they make their way there. And you can almost picture the scene as, as they come, and here are these proud, dismayed parents and as they come and as they draw near, I, I picture them, this baby there in swaddling clothes. They hold him up and, and I can almost hear as they say, his name is Jesus. For the first time they tell somebody else, here he is and, and here he is, our Savior, his name is Jesus. Eight days later, his parents take him to the temple. And there's an old man, Simeon. There's an old woman, Anna. And the Bible says that they had been looking for the Lord's Christ. Imagine that. See the depth of that. They had been looking for all of these years, devout at the temple, devout in prayer. They had been looking for the Savior from God. They had been looking for the Messiah. Their hope was in the Lord's Christ. The only hope, if they were ever going to have any hope, the only promised hope of God was this Messiah. And eight days after his birth, he comes in. It's in a little baby, and his name is Jesus. His name's Jesus, Anna. His name's Jesus, Simeon. He's a 12-year-old boy. He goes to the temple. He listens, and he teaches, and then he begins to explain, and he should because they're his own words, and the young boy that's the, the subject of Scripture, he begins to teach them. Understand this, as, as huge as it is, this, this young boy, he is the author of Scripture. He is the promise of Scripture. He is the Savior from Scripture. And there he teaches, he explains those old words that are his words. The Bible says, on the journey home, his parents can't find him. And I can almost hear as I think about the story, they, they start to make their way and they, they're heading home and it's been a great time. It's been a great celebration and they start to make their way home and they look around and, and they said, I haven't seen Jesus. And they start to ask, well, have you seen Jesus? And, and someone says, well, he wasn't here. I haven't seen him since we left the town. And I can almost hear as they yell out his name, Jesus, 
Jesus, and they turn around and they yell over the crowd, Jesus, Jesus. They call out his name. 30 years pass. 30 more years, he's 30 years old. The Bible says that he comes and he begins his public ministry. He calls followers and he starts to call those that will carry on his mission after him. And he says to them, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. Leave those things and I will make you fishers of men. On a certain day, the Bible says he tops a hill and he comes down into the Jordan River Valley and his cousin John the Baptist is baptizing there. And he baptizes him. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He begins preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. He begins preaching. These prophecies are fulfilled today in your hearing. I am the Messiah. And you can almost hear the buzz as people talk about him. I, I thought he was from Nazareth. His dad is just a carpenter. What is he doing? His dad is just a carpenter. What is, what is his name? His name is Jesus. Who is this man? What is his name? His name is Jesus. He does many signs and wonders. He heals legs and eyes and he gives back life. And you can almost hear as, as they begin to ask, as the person is now seeing as they walk about, as one man leaps about, you can almost hear, how did this happen? How did this ever happen? It was Jesus how did this happen? It was Jesus. And the word goes out. Let me tell you, it was, a, it was Jesus. In fact, we find a long list of people who needed to see Jesus. The woman with her alabaster jar, as she weeps, as she worships. The Samaritan woman there by the well, she's been pushed out. She is, she is excluded because of her sin. The demoniac that had been tortured there by the tombs of Gerasene, he had no friends, he had no hope. He's in the control of evil. Jesus was their hope, only Jesus. 10 leopards learned his name. There was only one thankful enough to come back and tell him thanks. A short tax collector heard and he ran ahead and he got ahead of the crowd and he climbed up in a tree that he might see Jesus. A blind man, imagine this, he hollered into his darkness. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He couldn't even tell if he was hearing it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, that the word would get to Jesus. I hear the rattle of footprints. Oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus heard. Your faith has made you well. And that would be the standard, faith in him. Faith in Jesus is all that can make anyone well. It was all that made him well. It is all that will make us well the same. He comes to Jerusalem. A couple years have passed. And by then, he's no longer a random name. He's now no longer a new name. And where they used to wonder, who is this in our midst? Who is this that, that claims these things? 
He's no longer a random name. And it is now in that name that he comes. The Bible says that he, he takes a colt, a young donkey, and he starts to make his way down that last grade into Jerusalem. And you can almost hear it. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Here he comes, our Savior. It is Jesus. He gets to town and he is now the hated name. And the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they hate this name. They've had enough. They're sick of this name. Where is this Jesus? Enough of this Jesus. Let's be done with Jesus. In Isaiah, it tells of the Savior, the promise of God, the need of mankind. It tells of a Savior that he will come like a lamb and be silent before his shears that he will come as a servant and there he will suffer. It says that he will be stricken, that he will be whipped, that he will pay for our sin. He'll pay for yours, he'll pay for mine, that he'll be crushed for our iniquities. He is nameless there in Isaiah 53, but in the book of Philippians it says that as he takes the form of a bond servant, the servant, the slave now has a name. His name is Jesus. There outside of Jerusalem, on a hill named Golgotha, Calvary, they take the sinless man of Galilee. They take the sinless, perfect lamb of God and there on this earthen hill, they nail him to the cross, the payment for sin. My sin, my death, my payment, my shame, my cross, my price. They nail him to the cross, the perfect lamb of God. He takes my sin and my shame, my evilness, my wickedness, and he takes it to the cross and they nail him there to the cross. The nails drive through his hands. They drive through his legs. Overhead, it was customary to post a sign listing his crimes. And so the sign is posted. It is a sign that starts with a message beginning in Genesis and that sign with a message that's last heard in Revelation. And the sign over our Savior's head as he bears the price of my sin, as he bears the price of my shame and my guilt, the sign over his head says this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Not a crime is listed, but a name. This is Jesus. And there he dies. They take his body down and it is becoming stiff. And the blood is beginning to dry and it's beginning to cake on his body. And if you look back to where the cross stood, there's still his blood pulled and drying there on the ground beneath it. And they take Jesus and they pull him from the cross and they hurriedly dress him for the grave and they take him and they place him in that grave and then they retreat into darkness, into secret rooms with locked doors and you can almost hear them say, they killed Jesus. He's dead, they killed Jesus. Did you see him up there? Did you see him? Did you see him when he breathed his last? They killed Jesus, he's dead. 
He's dead. They killed Jesus. Three days pass. Three long, hollow, hopeless days. And I want to tell you, no days have ever been so empty of hope. No, no days have ever been so hopeless. Hope has died. Jesus is dead. There is no hope. Jesus is dead. And you can almost hear their despair as they whispered, Jesus is dead. What are we going to do now? There's no hope. Jesus is dead. And folks, If you've ever heard one word that I've ever said, if you've ever heard any word that any preacher ever said, I want you to listen now. The good news is this. Listen very carefully. The Bible says, and now on the first day of the week, and now it was early in the morning and they went to the tomb. And the Bible says, as they approach, the stone is not found in its place. The stone has been rolled away. And these women, they were the first ones there as they draw near. An angel approaches and asks them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. Friends, I want you to know on that reality, hope is alive. On that reality, in that truth, salvation is secured. Victory reigns because of that reality, friends. I want you to understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, is this, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is not here for he is risen. Jesus is alive. He's alive. We serve a risen Savior. Friends, it's a new year. It's 2020. Did you get that today? Did you get that? You see, nothing can be the same. Jesus is alive. Forgiveness is offered today. The receipt is paid. Jesus is alive. There's power over death. The grave is not our end. Jesus is alive. It has not ended. It is not over. We are not overcome. We have hope today. The anchor holds today. Jesus is alive. Can you see Jesus today? Can you see Jesus today? Maybe you've gone through a terrible divorce. Maybe you got trouble with your kids. Maybe there's a bad prognosis. I, I don't know what we're gonna do about this. Maybe you're not where you thought you'd be in life today. Can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus today? Maybe your sins have you burdened. Maybe you're trapped in your sin. You're carrying the guilt of your sin. Friends, can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 20. A friend of mine gave me this verse on Christmas Day. I want you to listen to this one verse. It says this. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Have you seen Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for a risen, resurrected Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for hope 
that endures. I'm thankful for the forgiveness of my rotten sin. I'm thankful, Lord, for a risen Savior. Lord, I pray that we would be aware of our risen Savior, that our eyes will be fixed upon our risen Savior. And I pray as, as some are here not knowing you that they would see that risen Savior. And I pray for us here as believers as we walk through the hard things of life, the troubles of life, that we would quickly pick our eyes up to our risen Savior. Jesus is alive. Lord, I'm thankful we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you'd move in our hearts as we begin to understand that. As we see it anew, I pray that we would evangelize the lost. We would commit to your word. We would commit to your church. We would lead in our homes, but none of it out of duty, not one thing out of duty, all of it because we've seen you, our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I, I come and I start this year by telling you, we worship the only name, the only way, the only hope. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray in this time of invitation that you would move, that you would work, that you would lead. I pray that you've been glorified today. We trust this to you. We give it to you. And I pray all of it in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen.